Amen. You may be seated. You know, we're starting a new series today. If you have been with us previously any amount of time, you might know that we did two and a half years on the uh, Gospel of Luke. And so we are starting a new book of the Bible, Acts. Uh, and I promise you, and Charlie, um, we're, he's making sure of this, we're not going to go two and a half years. Not two and a half years. I know, I know. Um, a lot of groans, a lot of sadness. We're not going to go two and a half years. But the book of Acts is um, the story, it's the account of a small group of people that God began to do something incredible in, and it spread. And I can't help but think, as we split to two services, here you are, the 10, what, 10 o'clock service, a small group of people, you brave the snow, and I believe that God's going to do something. And as Charlie has um, been leading us into these two services and into where we're headed as a church, he believes deeply that God is leading us into a movement of Jesus. Now, we went verse by verse through Luke pretty much, but in Acts, we're not going to go verse by verse. Today, we're covering 10 verses, but there's going to be weeks where we go through an entire chapter in one sermon. Or an entire writing of Paul, another book in one sermon. So we're going to move around, and we're going to see what this movement looks like. It's going to be a fun time. Now, Acts is the account of what happened with the disciples after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. And we've, enti- we've entitled this series, The Birth of a Movement, because here we see the Jesus movement for the first time without him. And he, and he starts this, he launches something called church. A lot of you think, uh, a lot of people think, that church was somebody's idea on TV to make a lot of money or, or whatever. But church is actually something established by Jesus, and he cares about it an awful lot. We're going to see the church. And so um, I could do a whole intro on Acts. There's actually enough here to just do a big intro for half an hour. But we're going to let Acts speak for itself. And so you're welcome to turn in your Bible, the um, Worship Center Bible, to page 758. Or you can follow on the screens. But we're going to go through Acts, starting in Acts 1, verse 1. It starts like this. In my, fir- in my former book, Theophilus, now let's stop right there. And this is the same author, Luke, who wrote the book we just got done with, the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing to the same person that he wrote the Gospel of Luke to. He is informing Theophilus of all these things. This is Luke's second book. And in fact, in early church, they were just one book. Uh, and, and the cool thing about this for Luke is, in the first book of the book of uh, Luke, he was just interviewing. But in the book of Acts, he actually gets to participate. And we're going to see later on that he gets to travel around with Paul and experience these things. Luke, again, does a great job capturing the heart of this movement. But he also has a lot of cool facts in here. As we go through Acts, there's going to be 80 different geographical locations, specifically. There's going to be 100 different people that he names. Also included are governmental titles and political references. And all of this has stood the historical criticism throughout the centuries. Luke also records 24 speeches. And he gets down to the crux of what this movement is about as he records these speeches and what they're about. Uh, The book of Luke, it spans 30 years. 30 years, but it's 28 chapters. And so you can tell it's not an exhaustive history of the 30 years. It's a catalytic history. Luke is showing us the early church and the early movement of Jesus. Back to verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I love that Luke says that. You caught that, right? See, one thing that's so fun in the Word of God, look at what it says, but also look at what is, what is he not saying here? What did Luke not say in that first sentence? He didn't say, I wrote all about what Jesus did, as if Jesus did it and it was over. 
He says, I wrote about all that Jesus had began. You see, Luke knows that Jesus started something. It did not end with Jesus. It started with Jesus. And in, two, in 2017, our past series, we set off to find out the real rugged reality of who this Jesus is. Charlie had this vision for the church that we would be re-Jesus. That is, we would know who Jesus is and who he is not. We would come to know him more because God has asked us to be like Jesus. Well, we should probably know Jesus. And a lot of us, we were, we were in awe of what we found in Jesus and Luke. Luke states right here that the movement that happened in the Gospels is still a Jesus movement. It started with Jesus, and it continues with Jesus. Back to the text. I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. So we don't, get, we don't have those recorded, but Jesus had a lot of convincing proofs over those days that he was alive. And he goes on to say, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you were about to leave, if you were about to start a movement and then leave and leave it all in the hands of somebody else, what you were teaching about at the end, at the very last days of those, th- those days, would be very important. You're, you're literally telling them what to do and then you're, 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 you're leaving. So for the past 40 days, what is it Jesus teaches about? It's love. It, it's love. It's, it's got to be about which candidate we should vote for, right? Like, what's, what's his final instructions? No. The thing that Jesus teaches about on the final 40 days after he's resurrected are what he taught about for his entire ministry. The kingdom of God. You see, the movement didn't change. It's still a kingdom movement with Jesus at the head of it. And in Acts, we're going to see that they reveal and expand, abo- expand upon this movement and this message that Jesus has for us. Now, ex- despite all the things we're going to look at, because in Acts, we're going to get to a lot of, of some, some hard texts and some fun texts. After all we get through, I want us to remember at the end of the day that this, this is a church movement. It's a kingdom movement. And that Jesus was the beginning of it. And even today, Jesus is the head of it. Okay? We're going to keep that in mind. We're going to keep what we've learned in Luke in mind as we move forward into Acts. On verse 4, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And he tells them, stay. Someone is coming who's from the father. It says it's a gift that God promised. Well, where did God promise this? What what did God promise about this one who is to come? And if we look back in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, there's a a prophetic declaration from God the Father as he says these words. This is from God. I will give you a new heart. I will put put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my ways and be careful to keep my laws. God promises his people he will put his spirit in them. And that spirit will help them to move and and empower us to follow God's ways. He goes on about this. In verse 5 Jesus says, For John the Baptist, he baptized with water. But in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we know from Luke that Jesus was baptized, and probably many of those disciples, probably all of them right there might have been baptized. But then Jesus says, soon you will be baptized, you'll be immersed. 
in the Holy Spirit. A new baptism is coming. And I just want to pause right here before we read any of our past church or personal or doctrinal things into this statement, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because in a church room this size, there are some who hear that term and they recoil and think it involves snake handling and they've seen that in movies and things like that. And then there's those who have here baptism of the Holy Spirit and they get excited at what, oh, that means. And, and, they, and we all have an idea of what we think baptism of the Holy Spirit means. And what I want to do for us in Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts, it's been so long, in Acts, is, is we're going to be challenged by this series. I, Charlie, he wants us to be challenged by this series. And I want us to come with an open heart, open mind, and an open spirit for what God would reveal to us. And how about we not let our past experiences, both good and bad, set the agenda for what we think Acts should tell us. Let's, let's go on this journey together in real time and see what it means. What is it saying here? These buzzwords, these terms from past, which might be good or bad in our lives, let's let them be. It's in the Word of God. Let's see where it leads us. We have many topics in Acts to wade through, a lot of electric topics, and we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to courageously go into those. But, but what we want is to go forward without our preconceived biases. And right here in this place, Jesus says, in the coming days, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't really give them any indication of what that will look like. He just says that to them. They're more puzzled than we are. They have never heard of this. Now, if you're a disciple, and you watch Jesus be publicly executed, and then you watched him appear to you, and for 40 days, he has proven that he is living, and he has been teaching to you about the kingdom, and he says that, the, that God's promise, the Holy Spirit is coming, and you're going to be baptized. This is big news. This is, 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 is mind-blowing just mind-boggling that they, they would be, he would be teaching them this. And so when Jesus says something this big, how do they respond? Well, they respond how they just so often respond. They just miss it. They whiff. Listen to how they respond when he says, I'm going to do all these things. He says this in verse 6. Um, they gather around him. After, after the Holy Spirit is going to come, they're going to be baptized. They gather around him. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, that's a good question. We'll see why they asked it. But Jesus is talking about a divine, eternal, powerful kingdom. And all they can ask about is a present kingdom of Israel and when it's going to be restored. This is literally a parent surprising their child and saying, we're going to Disneyland as a family. We're going to walk in and you're going to experience the magical kingdom and all that's there. And the child, unimpressed, says, can my Mickey Mouse come out of timeout? <laughs> well, yeah, but, but <laughs> that's what this is like. They missed it. See, Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's gonna be, they're going to be baptized. Things are going to happen. And they say, uh, what is it about this government? And when will our candidate be in charge? They missed it. You see, Jesus isn't talking about Romans or candidates or politics. He's whispering fresh new life of a coming movement that is unlike anything they've ever heard of. And they have no context for it, so they just kind of bring their context into it. Well, what about, is that when Israel is going to be restored? Now, we can't blame them too much. Because they're first century Hebrews under the rule of a tyrant political leader. And, and it goes to prove that even in those days, 
overwhelmingly, the Hebrews were looking for a Messiah that was a military, political leader to throw off the shackles of the Romans and, and lead them to freedom. So they're asking, is, 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 it, is it now? Is it now? <laughs> and he's like, listen. Well, we'll see what he says in a second. It's great. But another reason they're asking this is because there is Old Testament prophecy. There's Old Testament prophecy. It's very clear that some things are going to happen prophetically in and through Jerusalem. So, so Jesus is talking about in a few days, now. Now, a movement's about to happen, guys and girls, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and things are going to happen. And they're asking about prophetic things in the future. Prophecy, Jesus is talking about now. He's talking about mission now. They're talking about prophecy then. How does Jesus answer this? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Listen, he's saying, what you're asking isn't even for you to know. That is for the Father in his authority. Listen, what I'm, I'm asking yourself to concern yourself with what I'm talking about here and now. Something great is happening now. He gets them back to the present because he knows he's speaking to them for the last time. These are the last words he's going to say to his disciples. His disciples. They might, I don't know if they know that. But he knows that. He's, this is him winding up. So let's lean forward and see what he says before he leaves. He tells them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, this is exciting news. He says, you will receive power. And the word here for power is dynamis. We get the word dynamic. You're going to receive dynamic power. Not of yourself, of God. Something dynamic. Something that, that is catalytic, that moves. Now, uh, the Holy Spirit is probably the most misused, debated, and misunderstood topic in the entire Bible. Churches split uh, weekly over the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that, are we, Charlie? Absolutely not. Unity is our story, and, and, and that's what we are about here. So we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to learn what, uh, what God would have us know through Acts, okay? And so right here, we see the Holy Spirit in this context. God is saying um, something important about this third part of the Trinity, and we're going to investigate it because, I just want to let you know, all of us who follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is active in us and in this room right now. Holy Spirit is active in this place even now. Back to the text. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be a witness to, the, to Jerusalem, all of Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He's saying, disciples, listen. This movement that you thought died 40 days ago, this movement that is small, that, that seemed to just lose all its, its momentum, it's not over. In fact, you're going to go back to your city, and the Spirit's going to come in power, and it's going to expand, and I'm going to do great works, and, and disciples, this small little movement is going to go to the ends of the earth. And guess what, Orchard? It did. It did. The power of the Spirit is undeniable. Now, one thing I like about this verse right here, if we sync up the whole verse, this Holy Spirit will come to you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is, this, is, this is important to know. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and you will have dynamic power, it's the dynamic power to do what? 
Now we're going to learn a lot about the what later, but what's he talking about here? You'll have dynamic power to go into all the world to the ends of the earth and be Jesus' witness. He's saying you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit, dynamis, dynamic power, so that you can be witnesses of me where you are, in your region, and to the ends of the earth. Orchard, I know it's hard to talk about what, what we believe. I know it's, in this culture, hard to talk about our faith, and, and we're going to see it's actually harder in this culture to talk about what they believe in their faith. But there is something about the Spirit. When we, when we tap in and we allow Him to move, He empowers us and emboldens us to reveal Jesus. It's amazing here. Right off the bat, we learn something beautiful about the Holy Spirit and the movement of God. You see, the Spirit from the outset, right here in Acts 1, gives us dynamic power to be witnesses. That is to speak and to act and to live and to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us dynamic power to be a witness and reveal Jesus to a world that needs it. This is true even today. Now, what an amazing statement. What an amazing statement Jesus is making. He's, he's there with these people on a, on a hillside, just a few of them. He says, this is going to go global. Can you imagine that? Like we talk about having a movement of Jesus that's going to impact our cities and our region. Jesus sits there and talks to a few of them and says, this is going global. It's amazing. Now, with that, he was done. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They could no longer see him. The final revelation of Jesus. It's like he says this, guys, wait for the Spirit. When empowered, witness where you are. Witness where I send you. I'm out. P.S. I'll be back. Mic drop. Like that's, just, that's it. It's just like the most epic mic drop of all time. Here's what we're going to do. I'll be with you. This. Boom. I'm out. I'll be back. That's what he does. And so here, with that, he's gone. Now, how do the disciples react to this in verse 10? The disciples were looking intently up into the sky. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I was telling them for service. One of the, I always want to end a service with an ascension up into, like, the curtains. It would just be, like, the coolest way to go, and may God be with you today. And just, uh, Jesus ends his final sermon with an ascension up into the heavens. And then it says, they're staring at the clouds. Yes, you would be. I mean, why? Wow. And then it's so funny because two angels come and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? I'm sure Peter's like, because Jesus just, just went right up. So sh but the angel, God has a sense of humor. The angel's like, why are you looking at the sky? <laughs> he has a point to it. The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back the same way he went. The disciples were just standing there, mouths open as he dis disappeared into the sky. And I keep wondering, they were just standing there waiting, and the angel came along. But what were they waiting on? Jesus says such confusing things at times. They're probably like, is he going to clarify the baptism thing? The whole world? Like their, their minds are blown. What's he talking about? Surely he's got more. And, and, and he's going to come back, right? He's, he's going to clarify? Like when I leave the house, my wife knows and my kids are learning. When I say goodbye, everybody, when I come back two minutes later, because I've forgotten something, they don't say, you're back already? They say, what'd you forget? Like, I, I, 
if this was me, I'd be like, goodbye. Whoa, wait. And so they're just sitting there waiting for Jesus to get up in the cloud and go, oh, one more thing, come back down. Hey, guys, pork's delicious. Just go ahead. And then go back up, you know? Like, what are they waiting on him to, to say and do? But he says nothing. He's gone. He just takes off. And they're staring. And the, the angel's like, why are you staring? Do you know why he asks them why they're staring? Because they have things to do. The movement is happening. we got to go. Why are you looking at where he went? He's going to come back. But for right now, didn't he tell you that you need to go and wait in the Holy Spirit and then the ends of the earth? Did you catch that part? Yeah, let's not be sitting here staring at a cloud on the side of a mountain. Let me just fill us in on something that happened twice in these 10 verses. Two times in these 10 verses. In verses 5 through 7, the disciples uh, were told about the coming Spirit. And they responded by asking about, the, about a prophecy in the future. You remember that part? A kingdom of heaven is coming and the Holy Spirit. Is, are you going to restore Israel? They asked about a future prophecy. What did Jesus do at that point? He redirected them to the here and now, the mission at hand. And in verse 10, he ascends into the sky and disappears into the clouds. And they're sitting there staring and the angel says, yeah, he's coming back. Don't worry. Don't you have some things to get to? Didn't he tell you what to get to? You see, the disciples want to stare at clouds and they want to go ask these prophetic things, but Jesus has made it clear there are things to do now. The movement is on. Let's not, let's not, get, let's, let's not get sidetracked by all that stuff of what may be. Let's not, let's not just sit here and stare at clouds. We have our marching orders. We have commands. And I want to just say something to us here today, carefully, kind of carefully. Every single week and year, a new book, a new TV preacher, or a, no, a new YouTube prophet comes out and tells us that this blood moon is the one. This sign in the sky is it. This date on the calendar is the one. This hurricane, this thing, this number of moons, Jesus is coming back, it, it, probably September-ish, in there. It didn't happen in September, did it? Here's the deal. Here's what I want us to know. Is that we dedicate ourselves to following moon phases and stargazes for the second coming. And many of us are still symbolically staring at clouds. He went up there. When he gave us marching orders. We're staring at clouds and watching YouTube videos about the, all that stuff. When every single day people far from God come into contact with us and we are too busy staring at clouds and worried about phases and worried about those to, and we miss the love God, love people now. He's given us a mission now. Do you, know, do you want to know what I believe about prophecy? You, here's exactly what I believe. Prophecy gives us peace about the future. So we can be focused and have power in the present. And when all that blood moon stuff and all those videos come out, does it give us peace? Oh no, this is the, no, there's, it interrupts our peace. Listen, I have peace in the fact that Jesus is coming back. I also have great peace in the fact that I won't and cannot and will not ever know the day or time. I also have peace that while he's coming back, he has given us a mission to love God and love people now, here, today. And when he does come back, I want to be found loving God and loving people. 
Two times here, they're staring at clouds and asking about the someday, and both times redirected to the mission of Jesus, the mission of redemption, of loving God and loving people. It's amazing. It's his final interaction. He makes it obvious that as this movement goes forward, it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit for this glorious mission to redeem the entire world. It's such a wild start to this book because Luke actually already taught us about this. He's rehashing it a little bit. But he wants us to know, before we get into the coming chapters and pages, that Jesus, Savior of the world, left the most important, valuable movement and mission in the world to humans. (laughs) The audacity is amazing. The privilege and responsibility for us is amazing. Something wild happens here. Something amazing happens. Those disciples, those men and women, they stop staring at clouds and they start living as Jesus asked, empowered by the Spirit, loving God, loving people. And what begins to happen is amazing. And this tiny movement on a hillside, this trickle of movement from a hillside flowing out of the rock of Jesus turns into something huge. Now you have probably all seen the ocean, hopefully sat there at one point and looked out over the Pacific Ocean. You know, the ocean, ocean is vast, and when you think about it, it's so full of all the rivers and tributaries and even particles, good and bad, from all over the globe. It's the strangest thing when you think about it. It just all goes in there, and it's full of all that stuff. You know, our knowledge of the church and of Jesus is much like that Pacific Ocean. Now track with me. You see, there's divine truths of the church and of Jesus in it. But it's diluted by all the many busynesses and sins and stresses and our culture and the the thousands of years and our own personal church and God experience. Generations of misuse of this. You know, down through hundreds of years, the movement of Jesus has been polluted sometimes. It's been sullied and there's been times where it's been hijacked. To the point where, in our culture now, it's been so diluted that sometimes people don't even know what Jesus wants of them. Other than when they win an award on stage, they thank him. Like, like we, it's been so diluted what the church is, and we're going to find out. It's been so diluted that we think the church is something we go to a couple times a month. That's what we give. Our, that's what we, give. we don't give our lives to it, we give a couple times a month to it. The word Christian has been so diluted that you can't find a, a definition in this Bible of what Christian is. If you, look, if you were to look at today's definition of it, it's not in here. It's been diluted by all of the many things. And in this day and age, 2018, hundreds of years, thousands of years after Acts was written, the reality of Jesus' movement has flowed through time and been diluted like the Pacific Ocean. But, but here is where the Acts series and where we're headed for this future, here's, here's where it comes into being. Because see, there's a small trace, even in that vast ocean, of the true authentic movement of Jesus. And if you find that small trace, and you follow it up the the Gulf of California, you'll get to something called the Sea of Cortez. And if you follow the Sea of Cortez, you'll get to the Colorado River Delta. And you stick with that delta, and you will go on the border of Mexico and California. You'll go to Nevada, the border of Nevada. You'll cut through the the top of Arizona. Then you'll cut through the southern um, Utah, and then it hits western Colorado, doesn't it? And it goes from the dry lands, cuts through the canyons. It gets to the mountains. And if you hang a right, you get to the Roaring Fork River. 
And if you, ta- if you trace that deep and raging tributary long enough, you will get to another one called the Crystal River. And you follow that up into the Rockies, uphill. Trail that Crystal River high enough and you will find a stream. It's going to be ice cold, but it's going to be a lot clearer than those ocean waters, isn't it? A lot less diluted. You follow that stream and it will eventually shrink to an alpine creek. And that high country creek babbles into a small brook. And if you follow that brook carefully enough, it leads to a high Rocky Mountain spring of pure, untainted, undiluted water. And this is the series of Acts. Acts goes up here. We are finding the spring of pure, undiluted Jesus movement. We are finding, we go back in time, back through history, through all the cultural stuff, through all our personal church stuff, all our personal pain and, and all the things we've been through. We trace it back, up, 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 and we get to the pure, untainted movement of Jesus that had a genesis with a man who was fully God, fully man who died and rose again and started a revolution. And we're going to study it. Why are we going to study it? Because we want to step in that flow. And when we step in the flow of that pure, undiluted movement of God, we become flavored as a church with a water that the world cannot duplicate. And they will taste and see a grace they've never found before. There's a soul-quenching water of life there. There's, There's cleansing Of all of our sins, there's currents of compassion and justice in that stream. We want to step into that stream. So we're going to go through Acts and find this fresh string of pure movement of Jesus Christ. Because this is who we want to be. This is what we want to be in us. We want to be a Jesus kingdom movement with him as our head and the spirit empowering him so that, so that our Jerusalem is our town, our neighborhood. Our Judea and Samaria is our region. And the ends of the earth, well, we'll see if Aspen gets it. We hope they're gonna, but not yet. We got some work to do in Jerusalem, right? That's what we want with Acts. To find this pure, untainted, undiluted move of God. If you are a veteran churchgoer, and you're here and you've read Acts, and you know about the church, and man, you, you know about the Holy Spirit. You know, about, you know about different denominations and what you do and don't like. I want to challenge you. This series will transform you, and it will challenge you. As you go through this series, your, your beliefs on church and the Holy Spirit and of your place in the movement will all be challenged to change. If you're newer here, you don't know about this Jesus stuff. You're checking it out somewhere. You're somewhere in between. This is the perfect place for you because we're going to investigate this journey. We're going to go on this journey to see what it is. What did Jesus really mean? What does he want? The church has had such a bad name and we've earned it. What does he want the church to look like? What does he want the orchard to look like? And not just look like, what does he want us to be? So, we're going to go on this journey, and I, I, I am so excited because I believe at the end of and through this, we're going to be a people who more authentically know God, know Jesus, know His Spirit. We're going to love His Word, and we're going to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as ourselves at a whole new level. So Orchard, as we pursue this series, I, I, want you to, I want you to go with us on this journey. I want you to start reading Acts. Some of you are already in it. 
Read Acts. Just start reading it. Look for, write down questions. I don't get this. Write, write down all the things that you come against or come up with. But, but be in this journey with us. This will transform us as a people and as a church. Now, as we close today, we get to communion. I love communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so communion for us is something that we do to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And at the orchard, you don't have to take a class. You don't have to be a member here. If you want to remember Jesus and his sacrifice, our communion table is open to you. And so if you come up here and you grab the, the bread and the, and the juice that represent his body and blood, remember that Jesus, the same Jesus who died on the cross, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, made a way and started a movement of redemption that we are going to step into to love God and love people in our lives, in our area, in a way that's never been done before. Amen? Amen. All right, let's worship and pray.